Welcome to Kingdom Life Church, Stellenbosch. May this life-giving word activate your faith today. This morning we're going to continue um, with our series and we're in week three of our series called You Are Here. And it's a series focused on how do I get myself from where I am now to uh, where I want to grow into God and where I want to grow as a Christian, where I want to develop. I mean, we, God didn't create us to stagnate where you are. God made us to grow in life. Amen. Um, you want to grow as an athlete, grow as a, um, in your job, wherever you are, you want to grow in that position where you're at. We, we, we were not made just to be an happy all our lives. We are made to be great. And, uh, and that's how God created us. And especially when our, in our Christian walk with God, He has created us to grow in our lives, to mature. And, and, and that's an amazing thing. So, so we've been looking at four different groups of people in church. You remember? Group one was... People that is currently exploring God. That's people who hasn't got saved yet, but they're exploring the idea of God. They're visiting church. They're in that process of growing towards salvation. Yes, it is a process. And we do grow towards salvation. And, and if you want to know more about that, go to Sermon 1 that we've done. Group 2 is the people that is beginning in God. That's people that just got saved. And they're beginning in a relationship with the Father. They're growing into something new. That, that's post um, salvation. Then group three is people, and we're going to speak about this this morning, is people who are close to God. People now you've been saved and the seed that's been in your life has been growing and you've been maturing as a Christian and, and as a believer. And then group four, and we're going to look at that last, uh, next week, and there's people who are moving into a place where they are God-centered. God-centered. Now, no matter in what stage you are currently in in your life, um, there is no limit. God loves us all equal. No matter if you are beginning in God, exploring God, um, centered, God-centered, close to God, no matter where you are, God loves you. He loves us all the same. And the great thing about all these four groups is that all of these people in these groups are growing. We all are growing in God, and that's a great thing, isn't it? To know that God created us to grow in Him and we're growing constantly, no matter where you are. The sad thing about it is some of us can stagnate in some of those groups. You can stagnate in beginning in God. I got saved, yes, box ticked, and now I'm done. I'm going to heaven, yay. But see, you're not supposed to stay there. You're supposed to grow. So, and and that's, the, that's the amazing thing. Now, through this series, we're looking at a topic for each group. And... Um, a topic to show us where people need to grow towards and what happens in our lives to grow to the next level. Now, the first group is fellowship. Um, we, we're stepping into a place of fellowship when we explore God. And when we step into fellowship, it brings us to a place where we step into a relationship with God as we get saved. And from a relationship in God, we step into a place where we need discipleship in our lives to mature. We need to be discipled, and then when you step into a place of lordship, it means that now you start discipling others. And there is lordship in your life. You realize that it is from the inside out and nothing else. Now, important for us um, is to, to, for us to make this move from group one to group two, we need to believe a couple of truths. Now, I'm just going through a couple, quick recap of our, of our sermons. If you want to move from group one to group three, you need to understand grace. We spoke about that. You need to understand that Jesus died on a cross for you. His blood flowed so that you can live. And that means grace takes you from group one to two. If you don't understand grace, you will never get saved. 
Otherwise, it just will be a religious thing that you do. Now, to move from group two to group three, we need to make sure that the Word is the final authority in our lives. It is. We need to understand that we need to get the Word of God in our lives to mature and to grow, to get closer to God. We need the Word in our lives. And then to move from group three to group four, it's the truth of giving. Now, I'm not talking about money or stuff. I'm talking about giving yourself, as I've been speaking. Giving all of yourself. And that's the big thing. When you are a Christian and you love God, it is all giving yourself. Now, an important reality that we all need to get during the series is that during each of these stages, the enemy will attack you. <laughs> the enemy will come at you guns blazes. Why? Because he hates when you grow. The enemy hates it when we grow, when we mature, when we have foundation in our lives to get stronger. He doesn't like that. So he will come at you with everything he has to get you not to grow. We base this, um, this on the most important parable that Jesus has spoken about. And, and it's a parable out of Mark 4. And, and it's also our core scripture. And we're going to read it just again, the whole uh, portion, just to get us, uh, give us some context. And for those of you that haven't been in our services till now. So Mark 4, Jesus tells this parable. And, he, and it, it goes like this. It says, once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very loud, large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on the footpaths, and the birds came and ate it. Other seeds fell on the shallow soil with underlying, with underlying rock, and the seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so that they, uh, they produced no grain or fruit. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as, um, as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Great scripture. Right after this time, Jesus spoke to all these people, and when the people left, the disciples came to Jesus and said, listen man, what, what did you speak about? What did that actually mean? And Jesus came in, in verse 17, he, uh, 13, he said, then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? All the other parables, and that's why we need to make sure that we get this parable in our hearts. We need to make sure that we understand this parable in our lives. Now again, remember all of these truths that Jesus shared in Mark 4 is not just how we can move up the ladder very quickly. Like I said, I want to reiterate that. It's not about getting up the ladder of spiritual growth as quick as I can. It's all about patience in the growth. You remember in, in Sermon 1 we spoke about the seed. It says seed, time, and harvest. It's not seed time and harvest, it's seed time and harvest. And the time in the middle is God takes time with us. He takes time with us to grow and sometimes we go through offense and sometimes we go through dips in our lives and things. But in that, in that time, Romans 28, 28 says God works everything together. But the scripture actually says he's woven everything in our lives together to build the, the best picture for us to grow and mature in God. Now we need to remember it's not 
to move up the ladder. That's not why we're doing this. It's for us to help understand the process of growth and how to overcome the enemy as we grow. Because the enemy is going to come at you. I mean, all of us, have, if you've been in group two, three, or four, you know that <laughs> challenges is coming. It's not if challenges, it's when. And challenges comes, and it, it sometimes challenges us to our core and our spiritual growth in God. Now, this morning, we're going to look at group three, and we're going to look at the word discipleship, and we're not going to, it's not going to be the discipleship message than you, that you always have heard. I'm going to go a bit of a different angle. So let me, let me ask you a question. How many of you like salmon? Yay. If you like sushi, then you, you need to like salmon as well. Um, I, I've, I've never met a lot of people who like crab stick sushi. That's all you eat. Uh, no, no, we, have, we like salmon. But, but it's amazing if you go and read up about the Pacific salmon. The Pacific salmon actually lives in, in fast-moving streams and rivers. And they hatch in these small little ponds in the small, fast-moving rivers up in the mountains. And they spend the early, early um, time in their life, they spend around the nest where they hatched. And they live around there. But, but as they start to grow, they begin to swim, swim downstream all the way as the stream takes them, fast-flowing fast rivers. They head downstream to the fast-moving rivers and eventually they get to the Pacific Ocean. And when they get to adulthood, guess what they do? They go all the way back, all the way back to where they came from, thousands of kilometers all the way upstream to where they were hatched. Now, things aren't too bad in the ocean. I mean, all they have to do is they have to um, go through a bit of currents and, 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 and a bit of tides, but as they go out into the streams, they have to go and face the current that pulls them in. But as soon as they get into that river, it gets harder. I mean, it was easy in the, in the ocean where the currents, they could ease through the currents, but now the stream is running. And they're going up against the stream as they swim upstream, and it gets harder and harder to swim up from the ocean. And the closer they get to their stream, it's amazing how God created animals, how they know exactly where to go. And as they go upstream, the, it gets harder. Because the streams are smaller, it moves a lot faster, and now they have to negotiate with rocks and logs and waterfalls. And sometimes you'll see pictures like this of salmon who jumps through the waterfalls as they go upstream, which is quite incredible, um, uh, like bears standing in the a, in a, in a, in a rivers, and they wait till the salmon jumps and they catch them. I don't know if you've seen some of those National Geographic um, uh, uh, videos. But the amazing thing is, the closer they get to the end of the journey, the tougher it gets. And everything is against them. Everything is opposing them. And the farther they go, the harder it gets to get to home and do the same process, lay eggs so the eggs can hatch. Have you ever felt like that in our lives? That the more you grow, maybe you're looking at, uh, thinking of professionally, the more you grow in your company, the harder it gets. The more you grow in school, the harder. I mean, my, the, the twins asked me, that. It's like, why does it get tougher the older we get? It's like, because you're getting clever. I mean, that's... But it's the same in our Christian walk. The further we go and we grow in God, the tougher it gets. Have you ever felt like that in your Christian walk and it just feels uphill? You see, the more we grow in our relationship with God, the more opposition will come at us and the harder it will get. That's a given. Now, I've always thought about this. 
Isn't it unfair? Come on, man. Shouldn't it become easier in life? But it actually do. It's just the opposition comes at you harder. You see, we need to understand that the world and the enemy will be the current that constantly tries to pull you down. See, the world will constantly come and tell you, not this way, that way. And Satan will come and will constantly, the enemy comes and look, not this way, that way. It's like a current that you constantly pull at you not to make it where God wants you to go. We need to understand that the world is like that. And the enemy is focused on pulling us down. Jesus spoke about this in a parable. And he said that the enemy will come and discourage you. He will come and discourage you. He wants to, you to be discouraged. He wants you to be offended so that you let go and go downstream and say, I don't want to grow anymore. I don't want to I I mature anymore. I'll just let go. This is too tough. But Jesus spoke about this. And he spoke about this in, in, in verse 18 and 19 as Jesus explained this to the disciples. When the seed has been planted and now the plant has been growing. And let's, let's look at verse 18 and 19. It says, The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. Now see, Jesus describes this, this attack of the enemy as thorns that choke out the word in our lives, that life that the word gives. The seed has already grown, the plant is there, but now the onkruid van die lewe, the thorns of life comes and pushes against the life of that, that plant so that fruit will not produce. If you look at thorns that Jesus spoke about, it's a symbolic representation of the demonic. Now, we all know that there's a spiritual realm and a physical realm. We all know that. There's heaven and hell. There's angels and demons. There's even movies about it. <laughs> we all know it. But Jesus spoke symbolically as he told parables. Because he wanted the people to understand what he was talking about. But some of it, the disciples didn't even understand. And as Jesus spoke, so when he spoke about thorns... He spoke about the spiritual realm and he spoke about the demonic and the oppressive stuff that comes against us. You know, there's so many examples in Scripture that I can go and show you why thorns and scorpions and sermons represent the demonic. But we don't have time. And I'll keep you busy for another half an hour to an hour. But go through the Bible and every place you go and read and see when the Scriptures speak about scorpions or thorns, it speaks about the demonic. Now, if you look at the word, now let me just give you one example. If you look at the word angel in the Bible, Greek, it's, it means angelos. And angelos is, the word angelos is, has been used in the New Testament about 170 times. 170 times as the word angel or angelos has been used in the New Testament, but only seven times in those 170 times, it has been used to explain a messenger. A messenger. Now, look at what Paul says. In 2 Corinthians. This is Paul speaking. He says, Even though I have received such wonderful revelation from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now, what is a thorn? Look, he's going to explain to us, comma, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need, my power works best in weakness. 
So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Long scripture, there's a lot to say in that. But what I want you to see is that he's speaking about a thorn and he immediately tells us what it is. He explains the symbolic meaning behind thorn and he says it's an angel of Satan. It's an angelos of Satan. A messenger. Now we all know that a third of the angels fell with Lucifer. We all know that in Genesis. And, <coughs> and all of those third of angels became demonic angels. It's the demonic. And I, I'm not devil conscious, I'm God conscious. So it's not a lot to you'll hear me speak about demons and, and stuff. But I want this to make it sure when, when Jesus speaks about thorns, he speaks about the demonic. And it's a reality that comes against us when you are oppressed in your life. It's a spiritual fight. A lot. It's a spiritual fight in our lives. You see Ephesians 6 verse 12. We all know this scripture very well. It says, For our fight is not against flesh and blood, enemies, but against every ruler, authority of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And I've seen it so many times and I can tell you a lot of testimonies. When you speak, uh, when you um, when you uh, take it in the spirit and you, when you handle a situation spiritually, it lifts. Because it's a spiritual attack sometimes. Now, so Jesus in this parable tells us three ways that thorns or the enemy can come and attack you as you grow in your life. And we're going to look at all three of them. The number one was, you remember, the cares of this world or the worries of life, as the New, New Living Translation speaks about. The worries of life. How many of you worry about life? <laughs> Come on, not, don't put up your hand because all of our hands will be up. There is a worry about life. Ooh, I'm going to make this month. Or I'm going to do this. Or how I'm going to handle this relationship. There is worries in our lives. So when Jesus comes and he says that this is a thorn in your life, that worry sometimes comes demonically. It comes spiritually at you to come and bring anxiety into your life. Remember the scripture, it's not up there, 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. No, no he, he, he didn't say God didn't give us a, a, a fear. He gave us a spirit of fear. Because he says he knows that sometimes when fear comes into your life and anxiety comes into your life, it's a spiritual thing. It is. And I had to go through burnout and hectic anxiety and panic. And there was moments that I knew this is a spiritual thing. And when I go and I sit down and say, Father, thank you, I will, not spur I will not partner with this thing. And that thing lifts. When me and my wife do a communion, it lifts immediately. See, it's a process that we need to remember that this is a spiritual fight, nothing else. Now, the cares of this world, if you go to 1 Peter, um, 1 Peter, sorry, 1 Peter 5 or 7, it says, give all your worries and cares to God for He cares for you. Isn't that a great scripture? Give all your worries, all the stuff, all the things that, oh man, it's heavy weight on me. Just give it to God because He cares so much for you that He will sort it out. Now, it's easy to say, but we need to, we need to realize this morning that we as Christians, we as God's creation, were not created to carry burdens. Do you know that? Think about it. We were not created to carry burdens. Why? Because the Psalms, in Psalms, if you go to Psalm 100 verse 3, it's not up there, it, where God calls us the sheep of His pasture. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if you ever heard of people going on an expedition and they said, man, we need to get us some, some pack sheep to take our stuff up the mountain. No. No, they need pack donkeys or, or stuff that. I mean, we, we, if God wanted us to be, want to carry weight and burdens in our lives, He would have called us donkeys. But He calls us sheep. See, we're not supposed to carry burdens. We're supposed to lay the burdens at the feet of the shepherd. Because it's, it's meant for the shepherd to sort it out. It's never that the sheep needs to sort out their own burdens. The shepherd handles it. But the problem is we lay them at the shepherd's feet, but we don't leave them there. And that's the problem. It's like, Lord, here's the burden. I'm going to lay it here at your feet. Lord, this thing has been burdening me. I'm just giving it to you. I just want to make sure that you see it's there. Lord, yeah, this thing, I mean, I've been struggling with this thing. It's a burden for me. It's been tough for my life. I'm laying it at your feet, Lord. I just want to make sure you see it, Lord. Okay, um, okay but now you're not doing anything, so let me just take it. We do that. Lord, I'm giving this to you, and after a week, oh, Lord, you've done nothing. Give it back. Does it sound familiar? So we lay the burdens down, but we don't leave them at the shepherd's feet. Because God says, lay your, bring your cares to me, for I care for you. Now see, the cares of the world, what does it do? It chokes the word of God in our lives. And it's all about the word. I mean, this whole parable goes about, it's about the seed of God, and the seed represents the word of God in our lives. And when the thorns come, it chokes the word in our lives. It literally chokes the word in your life. Now, let me give an example. How many of you have lied and read your Bible? And you do some Bible study or devotion, and when you finish reading, you can't remember what you read. <laughs> like my hand is up too. Why? Because our mind's wandering off while we read. Why? Because of the cares and the worries and the stuff in our lives. See, it's the same the enemy tries to take those things. He take, tries to take our mind off things so that we don't get the word in our lives. We need to get the word in our lives so that the thorns come and it will try to choke this word out of you without focusing, distracting us with worries and cares in our lives. Does it make sense? Then number two, he speaks about the deceitfulness of riches. And this is in New King James or the, the New Living speaks about the lure of wealth. Remember? The lure of wealth. Now in 1 Timothy 6, it speaks about, it's three scriptures. It speaks about the following. It says, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. Remember that. That plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love, remember love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Then look at verse 17. Teach those who are rich in the world not to be proud and not to trust, remember that, in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly give us all we need for our enjoyment. Now three very important things stand out in the three verses. It says trust, trust, desire, and love. He says don't trust money. Don't desire money and don't love money. Why would Paul say this? 
Why would Paul say this? I always read this and I thought, oh, if you're a Christian, you need to be poor. Am I the only one? It was like, poor guys in ministry, they need poor. (laughs) But that's not true. He's saying that we're not supposed, he's not saying that we're not supposed to be rich. That's the last thing. Look at the last verse. He says, they, they trust to be in God who richly give us all we need. That means that God has called us to be more than enough in our lives. He's not saying you're not allowed to be rich or not to be wealthy. He's just saying, where is your heart? He says, this is a heart issue. What do you trust? What do you desire? And what do you love? You see, he says, you're not supposed to love, tr- love desire and, uh, sorry, trust desire and love money because you're supposed to trust desire and love God. See, that's the mode. When your first things first is, Lord, I love you, I trust you, I desire just you, then it wouldn't be taken by the love of money. You see, money and wealth is always there to take the place of God. Man, it is, it is right there. It's one of the toughest things. Why do you think God wants us to give money in church? Because <laughs> He wants it. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. God says, if your heart trusts me, if your heart desire me, and if your heart really love me, then money will not take that place of desire, trust, and love. It's always your heart issue. And he says that this will be a great thorn in your life. Sometimes a spiritual thing of a lust for more. Jesus says that you can't serve God and money. Am I right? Do you remember that scripture? But we call to serve God first. And if you serve God and love Him first, then we will steward the money and the wealth in our lives accordingly. See, we'll never be happy serving riches. Why? Because we've called to serve God. We've called to serve Him first. Doesn't mean we're not supposed to be wealthy. That's an absolute lie. That's a religious thing. God has called us to, be, to have more than enough. More than enough. That's not just enough. More than enough. But it's a heart issue in our lives. How do we steward it? If our love first for God is, is number one, then we will steward everything in our lives accordingly. Number three, the desires of other things. Now, he speaks about three things. And number three is the desire of other things. Have you ever wondered what the other things is? Let's read the scripture, Matthew, 3, Matthew 6, 31, 33. It says, So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. It dominates our thoughts. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. Again, everything you need. God is everything God. He's a more than enough God. But he knows that there is things that will try to take the place of him as source in our lives. See, Jesus says that all of these other things will dominate your thoughts, so make sure what you focus on. <laughs> How many of you want really, 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 really wanted something in life before? Come on, just one, me and, me and Eleanor. All of us. And I remember when I was younger, every time I wanted something, I mean, it's tougher when you're a child, you really want that thing. And it's all you think about. 
And I'm, I'm a big C personality. I love details. So when I want something, I'll go on the internet and I'll look at all the prices and the best options and the, all the specs and all the stuff. And after a week, my wife said, man, you've been sitting at the computer looking at all the stuff. What have you been doing? God, it's been dominating my thoughts. How many times has that happened? A lot. See, sometimes I need to constantly go and say, Lord, thank you that this will not dominate my thoughts. You know my needs. You know my needs. It's so easy to want things, but it's not wrong to want things. He says, don't seek things, but seek God. Then our Father will meet our needs. So it's not wrong to, to want. You see, the enemy wants to get your focus off of God to distract you because he knows that the word of life will be choked and your faith will struggle. See, your thoughts are gone and the word is gone. Your thoughts are dominated by something. And your thoughts are everywhere but in the Word. There's no faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the Word of God. And as soon as the enemy can come and steal the Word out of our lives, he knows that he's dominating our thoughts and everything. And it's not wrong because sometimes in your workplace you need to focus on something and figure it out and, and do. But, but it can't overtake and overshadow your whole life. It can't. Then it's a desire of other things that is more desirable than God. So it's not wrong to want things. Let me just reiterate that. If you go to Ephesians 3.20, it says, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. That ask or think speaks about wants and needs. Two things, wants and needs. God is a God who wants to give you your needs, but He loves giving us our wants. That's His heart. But our focus is on Him. First seek His kingdom. First seek everything that He wants to give us. Now if you look at the word desire in this context, the word desire in the Greek context means two things. It means lust and it means passion. Two things. And you can use it in either one of those contexts. So it can say it's the desire or the lust for other things or the passion for other things. Now, Satan tries to turn our focus to lust. Surprise, surprise. He wants to you to lust for things, but God wants you to passionately desire Him. Passionately desire Him. That's why he says, don't desire other things. Now, the word in that context speaks about lust. He says, don't lust after things in your life. Rather passionately pursue me. Now the question comes, if you look at all three of these things, and, and I'm almost done, I don't want to preach long today because it's Father's Day. But the question comes up, how? How do we stay strong under pressure of life? How do we stay strong when we're growing in our relationship with God, especially when you're a young Christian? How do you stay strong when the enemy comes at you and comes at you, and the stream and the flow of the river get stronger, and you just want to go down current. How do we stay strong? Now, there's an amazing story about the Pilansburg Nature Reserve. How many of you have been there? The Pilansburg. It's amazing. Amazing. It's beautiful. I've taken a lot of people there and when I was staying in Poch, and, and they've got the be most beautiful. I think they've got the four of the, the... Do they have the big five? I think they do. Yeah, they do. And it's amazing. And, and, and the first thing I've mentioned when I was there, when I drove into that reserve, was 
the big packs of elephants in that reserve. It's incredible. But when you go and read how they started the Pilansburg Nature Reserve, Sun City and the, the owners of that place bought out a lot of farmlands. And that thing, I mean, Pilansburg is massive. So they bought out these this farmlands and they started populating it with animals. They call it um, the, the Genesis Project. <laughs> it's quite, it sounds like a movie. The Genesis Project. And they started populating these farmlands with animals. Rhinos and this. And when they came to elephants, they, um, they were supposed to transport elephants from Addo and Kruger and bring them in into Polansburg Nature Reserve, but they had a, a quite of an issue. The big elephants was just too big and it was too expensive to transport them all the way because you have to literally fly them with chopper and it's a, a crazy thing. They have to fly them and truck them in and it was too expensive. So they decided to, to get young elephant bulls, young small ones. Much easier to transport, young uh, bulls and cows, and, and they transport their in. It was a, a, a small herd of elephants. And what they did is they nurtured them and helped them, and after two, three years, it was, a, it was quite a, a bigger pack of elephants. And, and it, but as soon as that happened, after two or three years, they had a major issue. And the issue was so major, and this was it, that the young elephant bulls were super aggressive. They were so aggressive that they were killing the rhinos. You can go and read about it. They, they attacked the rhinos. The only, way, only reason why they killed the rhinos was because the rhinos didn't want to give way. They were too stubborn to, to move. And then so the elephant just trampled them and they killed them. Even one or two tourists was killed. It was national news of this aggressiveness of these young bull elephants. So they took this problem and they, they went further and they started studying the social culture of these elephants and they came to and a phenomenal founding, and they realized that these young bulls are so aggressive because they don't have mature older bulls mentoring them. And guess what they did? They trucked in two or three old elephant bulls and two months, and the problem was done. Because the elephant bulls came in, and they took authority, and they took ownership and fathership over the young bulls and they showed them the way. They showed them the way. Isn't that amazing? Now, this is a great example for us as Christians. And I listened to that and I thought, wow, what a great example. What a great example is for us to mature in our lives. We need older, mature people around us. Now, it doesn't mean you need to be older you just need, mean you need to be more mature. I needed in my life when I went into ministry and I had a young, young pastor that I had to work with. He was six years younger than me and I had to honor and serve him and he had to mentor me. God had to hum, not humiliate me but humble me. In a certain way I said you need to listen to him. And that is why discipleship is not important. It is essential. It is an essential thing in our lives. We need older, mature men and women around us that can mentor us and disciple us and take us to the next level because if you think you arrived, that's exactly when you, didn't, you haven't arrived. We need that in our lives. See, you might not be young anymore, but you're still growing spiritually. And therefore, we need spiritual mentors around us to help us mature. 
See, there's so much talk about discipleship. How many of you have heard about discipleship? You've heard about the word discipleship. Oh, man, there's so much. I mean, I've was in a, in a movement for 20 years that discipleship was one of our core things and values, and we preach it, and it's amazing. And it needs to be. It's a value that we need to run with. But if you ever ask yourself, what is the definition of a disciple? What is the definition of discipleship? Now, a disciple is someone, three things, with a personal conviction of who Jesus is, someone who's got biblical truth in his life, and he reproduces it in others. Three very easy things. Personal conviction of who Jesus is, biblical truth in their lives, and reproducing it in others. So what is a personal conviction? A personal conviction is, is, to, is to, to, to have three things established in your life. You establish the Word, because you need the Word in your life. And the Word shows me who Jesus is in my life. I've, uh, I have to establish prayer in my life, and I have to be established in family. That is what it means to have a personal conviction. I need to be established in family like this, because I'm not going to grow alone in my home. I'm not going to grow alone, so I'll just watch TBN. But TBN is not going to disciple you, sit with you, and listen to you, and pray with you, and cry with you, and laugh with you. You need family. You need to be established in family, established in the Word, and established in prayer. Then what is a, a, a personal conviction, a, a biblical truth? We need biblical foundation in our lives. We need a foundation in our life through the Word where, where someone can sit with you and work that through your life so that the Bible can be a foundational thing in my life. You remember what we said? The Bible needs to be the final authority. The Word of God needs to be the final authority in our lives. And then the third one is we need to reproduce it in others. Now we will get there next week. But that is when you step people through the stages of growth in your life. Where you matured. Somebody has discipled you. Now you have to step in and say, okay, now I want to disciple others. I want to teach them what I've learned. Now we've always used this phrase, only disciples can make other disciples. And it is true. We are not lone rangers. You need to be mature to teach others maturity. That is it. That's discipleship. We need to be matured. We need to be disciples in our lives. And I believe that every believer needs to be discipled. Now, it can quickly go very weird. Where is my disciple? Stand closer. My disciple this and my... No. It, it's all coming through relationship. Who do you have relationship? You discipleship is relationship. And the deeper your relationship goes, the deeper discipleship goes. Because in, this, in a relationship, you will be vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable, you open your heart and your life to others to speak to you, to love you, and sometimes help mature you in certain ways. Now, just like we're celebrating Father's Day today and what God has done in our lives and what your normal fathers has done in your life because you love them. Amen? But all of our fathers in our lives, we love because they make impact in our lives. My dad still has an impact in my life. And if you don't have your dad with you today, you can think back of the impact that he made in your life. He did. Our natural fathers make impact. And I still have the opportunity to make a strong impact in my girl's life. And when you're a dad of young kids, you still have that opportunity to make that impact. And that that's your most important place of discipleship, is with your children. 
And when you start discipling them and mentoring them and maturing them as they grow so much, you need people in your life that can mature you and mentor you and disciple you spiritually. Sit in the Word. If I didn't have a young man who was six, seven years younger than me who would sit with me with the Word and said, let's read together, let's pray, and I could see how he does it and how he reads and how he prays. He was super matured in, 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 his, in his walk with Christ. Then I... I wouldn't be discipled. See, as a church and a community, we need to make sure that there is a healthy growth in and around us. I need to make sure there's a healthy growth in my life and around my life. And sometimes we also, we only look inwards, but we never look outwards. You know why they call the Dead Sea the Dead Sea? Because the Dead Sea only have a, a feed, a run-in, of a net inloop. There's no feeding or a, a river that runs from the Dead Sea, and that's why it's called the Dead Sea. It only takes, it never gives. And the more healthy I am within, the more healthy people will be around me. And that's why we need to grow. That's why we need discipleship. And if you're here this morning and you realize that I'm an island alone, you need to make a difference. You need to make a change in your life. You need to drag people closer to you. I usually sit with men and say, who is your table of support? Who is around you that's speaking to your life from a mentorship point of view, from a spiritual point of view, from a business point of view? Who is around your table that can disciple you? Because that is the question and the answer of how we mature and grow in life. Can we pray? Let's stand together. Father, we thank you this morning. What a privilege it is to speak about these things and that we know that growth is so part of your plan, Father. And we know that when we grow, Father, we know that you are busy in that growth. You are part of that growth. And Lord, we thank you that, that, that as you mature us and lead us and, and help us to be more mature every day, Father, thank you for your love that's been weaved into that. And as your love has been weaved into that, Father, thank you that we will see what you see, Father. We will see the potential in our lives, what you see. And Lord, I pray this morning that, that you will connect us to people, that you will create a longing in our hearts to connect with people that can help us, mature us and disciple us. That will be part of a, a, a group of men or women that can speak into our lives where we can be vulnerable. And we will not stagnate to one stage of growth in our spiritual walk with you, but we will grow and even grow more than we've ever think. Lord, I pray this morning that, Lord, that you will take the pride away so that we can open our lives. So, Father, thank you for the opportunity, Lord, this morning to be in church, the opportunity to know, Lord, that you love us more than anything else, Father. And, and I want to pray for everyone here this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you will create a longing in our hearts to be matured, to grow, and not stay in one place, but grow to the next level. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. For more detail, visit www.klcstellenbosch.co.za.